You can save 15% or more at Amazon when you pay with Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv. You can set your own discount. 5% gets you fastest delivery, or you can set it to 30% or more if you're not in a hurry. Purse makes it so easy to save money at Amazon by buying with crypto. Just go to purse.bogosity.tv and start saving now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of February 2nd, 2020. The podcast that went to school but was not wiser. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's debronconate the news of the bogus. Almost five years ago, we covered the story of a reporter who put a bunch of his metadata online to see what people could conclude. It was scary not only for the sheer amount that they could correctly conclude, but also what they concluded that seemed so convincing but was in fact false. And we speculated that if that happened in real life, and the convincing that false thing was a crime, and they came into court with that misleading information, the jury is more likely to believe the techie metadata analysis. It turns out... This fear is very real, as we've seen in the case of a man who was suing Google for metadata that led to a wrongful arrest for murder. 23-year-old Jorge Molina was accosted by police officers in a Macy's warehouse in Goodyear, Arizona, who handcuffed him, took him to jail, and interrogated him for several hours. They were questioning him about a white Honda. He owned one, but his stepfather, Marco Cruz Gaeta, often drove it without his permission. They asked who had access to his phone and Google account. Then they asked him about the murder of Joseph Knight. According to the police report, I told Jorge that we knew 100%, without a doubt, that his phone was at the shooting scene. Jorge gasped and said, What? This feels like a freaking nightmare. Molina began to cry, saying, Oh my God, this is insane. Of course, the claim that they, quote, knew 100% without a doubt that his phone was at the shooting scene was a lie. They had arrested the wrong man based on location data from Google and the fact that witnesses saw a white Honda at the scene. But they had known for months beforehand that the Google location data often showed Molina in two places at once, such as a case where it showed him at a retirement community in Scottsdale where his mother worked, while at the exact same moment debit card records showed him making a purchase all the way across town. They also knew that he wasn't the only one who drove the Honda, that his stepfather sometimes drove it. And they knew that his stepfather, but not he, had a history of violence. Here's the big issue. They didn't suspect Molina and then go to Google to get his data. They never had any reason to suspect Molina. But when they were investigating Knight's murder, they sent a geofence warrant to Google, which asks them for information on all devices in the area at the time. According to Molina's complaint, quote, In direct contravention to 200 years of American constitutional law, a reverse location search warrant does not seek any specific information regarding an identified suspect based on articulable suspicion, but instead seeks information to cast a digital dragnet, information about all Google accounts that show activity in a particular geographic location. Molina spent six days in jail while the case fell apart. Prosecutors never pressed charges, but the publicity around the case cost him his job, his car, and his reputation. According to his complaint, they threw him in a cell in one of the worst jails in the country even after they confirmed he had an alibi and let him rot for six days when they knew he didn't do this. 
and they completely failed to investigate Gaeta, even though he had a history of violence and an arrest warrant for murdering California. Quote, First, the data obtained from Google made clear that the data was incapable of identifying Mr. Molina's actual location with any measure of reliability. Second, police learned that Mr. Molina's ownership of a white Honda was also inconclusive as to his presence. Investigators discovered police records indicating that Mr. Molina's stepfather, Marcos Cruz Gaeta, had previously been arrested for driving Mr. Molina's white Honda without a license, and had done so on other occasions as well. Turns out, Gaeta had been using one of Molina's old cell phones that was still logged into his Google account. Both text messages and Uber receipts showed that Molina was at a movie with two of his friends the night of the murder. The Uber driver left the theater with him at 12.11 a.m., and the murder happened miles away at 12.12. The thing that really did Molina in was the police making a public press release naming him as a suspect three days after verifying Molina's alibi and realizing that Gaeta was a far more likely culprit. The press release was sent to dozens of news outlets with no mention of Molina's alibi, the evidence exonerating him, or the fact that they were now investigating someone else. And they won't even give Molina the turn-down letter indicating their refusal to prosecute, which he needs to seal his arrest record. Molina lost his job at Macy's, and every attempt to get a new job failed because prospective employers did a background check and found out about the false accusation although not the fact that it was false. His car was impounded and then repossessed. This resulted in Molina missing too much school and having to drop out of his accelerated college program. Molina told the local ABC affiliate, quote, It was so irresponsible, not only of the police department, but of Google. If they're going to be given police departments this type of data, shouldn't they be educated on what to do with it and how to look at it? But this is what you get, as we've seen over and over again, when police rely on fancy toys instead of doing actual detective work. Google does not track people. They track devices, and not always very accurately. They don't indicate who is in actual possession of that device at the time, or even what kind of device it is. All they show is a possible location of someone who's using a device that has been used to log into someone's Google account. Unfortunately, this will only get worse before it gets better, but hopefully at some point these geofence warrants will get struck down as the unconstitutional horrors they are. If you're tired of these promos, regular supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv and sign up for Patreon or Subscribestar at any level. Ads are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension, and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit, and so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency, with no middleman taking a cut. 
Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now. One thing that hopefully might make them think twice is Google's new policy of charging law enforcement and government agencies to obtain user data. The company announced that as of January 13th, they will be charging $45 for a subpoena, $60 for a wiretap, and $245 for a search warrant, except in cases of child safety and life-threatening emergencies. And while some have seen this as a grab for extra profit, the previous story makes it clear that this is also a welcome privacy protection as it will cause police to only issue these warrants when they're really, well, warranted, and also help prevent the overly broad searches of the kind we talked about in the previous story. According to Google's latest transparency report, there were 165,000 such requests from government in just the first half of 2019, compared to only 20,000 in 2009. A third of those were from the United States. Google shared at least some information in 60-80% of these cases. Google notifies the user via email before sharing the data unless a gag order is attached. According to one of Google's attorneys, The new fees could help recover some of the costs required to fill such a large volume of legal requests. The requests have also grown more complicated as tech companies have acquired more data and law enforcement has become more technologically sophisticated. None of the services were designed with exfiltrating data for law enforcement in mind. The actual costs of doing wiretaps and responding to search warrants is high, and when you pass those costs on to the government, it deters from excessive surveillance. Similar reports of global law enforcement data requests have come from Microsoft, Facebook, and Twitter. While Google, Verizon, and Cox have sought reimbursement, Facebook never has. So we still need to be careful with them. We might be hearing, though, from politicians getting their little girl panties in a bunch about how the tech companies are getting in the way of them being superheroes. Case in point, Gary Ernsdorf, a senior prosecutor in Washington state, whined that might lead to more companies charging them and hamper their ability to get unconstitutional warrants, the poor widow baby. So here's hoping it might do some good. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv.
More good news, this time from the UK, and we've talked a lot about Europe's Article 13 and the horrible things it does, primarily by removing common law conduit protections and holding websites responsible for copyright infringements of their users, even unknowingly, and even in the case of fair use, or minor uses like memes or animated GIFs, meaning they'll effectively be required to purchase expensive filters with high false positive rates. Well, the UK says they will not be implementing Article 13. EU member states have until the 7th of June 2021 to implement the reforms, but despite being one of the nations to support it initially, they will have left the EU by then and will not be passing their own version. Prime Minister Boris Johnson had previously criticized the law, tweeting last March, The EU's copyright law is terrible for the internet. It's a classic EU law to help the rich and powerful, and we should not apply it. It is a good example of how we can take back control. Of course, then as now, the shills are already out in droves saying the composers and other artists will be losing out because of course YouTube makes its money on content theft and does nothing to stop infringement, which basically everyone on YouTube knows is a laugh. Keep in mind that Article 13 would have required the website to get a license or permission before the video is even uploaded, when 500 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. And what are the smaller competitors with a handful of devs supposed to do? Article 13 essentially asks the impossible. It also removes the aspect of intent from the infringement, since it applies even if the infringement is unknown to the website. They would have to have a crystal ball to know each and every time an infringing video is uploaded. It also destroys fair use and turns the burden of proof on its head. Any upload containing copyright works would be assumed to be infringing and the user would have to prove that it's fair use. And we've talked in the past about the dumb things the claimants have claimed copyright on, up to and including random noise. And this would apply to every website that accepts user-generated content, including things like blogs with user comments. We still have the rest of the glorified third world nations called the EU to worry about, but at least in this one case, the UK is doing better. Good for them. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to epidemiate this week's biggest bogun emitter. 
Both of these last two segments deal with the outbreak of a deadly strain of coronavirus in China. Ordinarily, coronavirus is just like a cold. It's pretty harmless. If you get the common cold, it's probably a rhinovirus, but if it's not a rhinovirus, it's probably a coronavirus. Annoying, but not really anything worth panicking about. The problem is, coronaviruses that originate in other animals but jump species to humans can be dangerous. The reason why is that ordinary cold viruses, if we could be allowed to personify them, want to keep humans alive because that's where they live. The human stays alive and moves around from place to place and spreads the virus. But a virus originating from another animal has no knowledge of humans and no compunction to keep us alive. In 2002, a strain of coronavirus, also originating in China, infected over 8,000 people and caused almost 800 deaths in 17 countries, mostly in China and Hong Kong. The virus originated from horseshoe bats and in humans caused severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS. The virus ran its course in 2004 and hasn't resurfaced since. But late last year, a new strain of coronavirus called novel coronavirus, or 2019 NCOV, was identified in Wuhan, the capital of China's Hubei province. It's thought so far that it originated from seafood, and it looks like it's much more virulent, with about the same mortality rate. Almost 10,000 people have been infected, with over 200 deaths so far, in just a few months as opposed to the couple of years the SARS virus ran. So this is serious, although so far it's been mostly contained to China. There are only six confirmed cases in the U.S., people traveling here from China, but so far it's been contained, and none of them have been fatalities. So, with the preliminaries out of the way, our scumbag this week is U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, who made the inevitable broken window fallacy when he said that this virus would cause jobs to return to the U.S. Quoth the windbag, The fact is, it does give businesses yet another thing to consider when they go through their review of their supply chain. It's another risk factor that people need to take account. I think it will help to accelerate the return of jobs to North America. Some to U.S., probably some to Mexico as well. Such a good politician, never letting a good tragedy go to waste. He made the comments on Maria Bartiromo's show on Fox Business, and she replied, Ah, that's a good point. Idiot. But Fed Chair Jerome Powell was less celebratory, quote, there is likely to be some disruption to activity in China and possibly globally based on the spread of the virus today and the travel restrictions and business closures that have already been imposed. There will clearly be implications, at least in the near term, for Chinese output and, I guess, for some of their closest neighbors, and we'll just have to see what the effect is globally. The SARS virus cost the world economy $40 billion, and even if the virus doesn't hit the U.S. directly, the indirect effects could have a negative impact. That's the problem with small-minded imps like Ross. They only look at the immediate direct effects and don't consider the larger indirect effects and after-effects. Of course, a lot of people on the left are using Ross as proof of just how horrible Trump is, but check the history of this podcast. We've covered a lot of cases just like this under Obama. Sorry, but if you're going to jump on this to make a partisan attack against Trump, you're just as much of a scumbag as Ross is. But I'm going to be generous this week and not drag you into this. I'll just make Wilbur Ross this week's biggest bogani emitter. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? 
Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now let's obstruct the breezeway of this week's So in the last segment, when I summarized the outbreak of 2019 NCOV, I mentioned how many people have been infected, which is the morbidity, and how many people have died, which is the mortality. Both of those are important metrics to keep an eye on. But they're not the only ones. Unfortunately, they're the only ones certain countries like China and Australia are using trying to combat the virus. The issue is, the things that people and governments can do in reaction to the virus while attempting to keep it contained can have ramifications of their own. We've talked about a similar effect with the Fukushima disaster, where the death toll and other ill health effects of the evacuation is mind-blowing, especially considering what an over-response to it it was. People have been living like refugees for almost a decade when there was no reason for most of them to even be evacuated to begin with, and the few that should have been could have moved back home in a couple of months. In this case, we even have history we can learn from. I mentioned SARS, which was another coronavirus. We can expect more of these to crop up as we have greater and greater proximity between humans and wild animals. We can also expect greater amounts of mass travel to spread infections around faster. As devastating as SARS was to those directly affected by it, the public health impact was very limited, and it didn't last. Fewer than 10,000 people were affected by it, and yet the fear of it caused tens of millions of people to change their behavior. Of course, most of it was driven by government directives and news media hype. As we've discussed before, people tend to overestimate low risks. They also tend to react more greatly to the risks that go bang, the ones that are memorable or can generate more fear. That's why more people are afraid of shark attacks than car accidents. In the case of SARS, 23% of Hong Kong residents surveyed were afraid they'd get infected when the actual infection rate was 0.0026%, four orders of magnitude smaller. In the U.S., where only 29 people were infected and no one died, 16% of respondents felt they or their family were likely to get infected. People changing their behavior based on that has real effects. Fewer people eat in restaurants or go to movies and bars. Fewer people travel, and so not only the leisure industries, but also tourism industries are hard hit. If the SARS experience is any indication of what we're in for now, we can expect this disproportionate response to cause far greater damage than the virus itself. China has already imposed a mandatory curfew on 20 million people. 
Hong Kong and other countries are restricting Chinese travel, and Australia is forcing already strained healthcare professionals to undergo extensive and largely unnecessary quarantines. It's hard to pin down all the countries that should be named, because even here in the U.S., the CDC and the Trump administration are giving in to the panic, restricting all unnecessary travel to and from China. Yes, we need to take precautions to help limit the spread of the virus, but in the process, we shouldn't be causing more damage than we prevent. That can be just as short-sighted and kindergarten-minded as Ross. So that makes all of these overreacting countries this week's Well, that wraps up this, you know you're not doing yourself any good, edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please keep this podcast going by hitting like and subscribe and supporting in one of several different ways you can find at donate.bogosity.tv, including PayPal, cryptocurrency, or subscribing at Patreon or Subscribestar to listen early and ad-free. Also, please come to discord.bogosity.tv where you can join the discussion and post a question, statement, news article, or rant. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Mark Vernon. The politics of fear plays on an assumption that people cannot bear the uncertainties associated with them. Politics then becomes a question of who can better deliver an illusion of control. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Literivitas 4.0 International License. are annoying, but ad blockers prevent publishers from making money. What if you could support your favorite websites, YouTube creators, Twitch streamers, social accounts, and many more ad-free and without paying anything, and even make some money yourself? It's not a pipe dream, it's airtime. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and get the browser extension and you'll earn cryptocurrency for the sites you visit, and so will the publisher. This is not a crypto miner. You and the publisher will both get part of the reward from current miners of the BitTube cryptocurrency, with no middleman taking a cut. Even if the publisher hasn't signed up yet, his tube will be put into a dedicated wallet that he can claim upon sign-up. You can also use your tube to tip publishers and even purchase products. Airtime monetizes users and publishers with no ads or crypto miners. Go to airtime.bogosity.tv and start making money now.